0: Hello and welcome to the Over and Back Classic NBA Podcast. I am Jason and with me as usual is Rich. Hello, Rich. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good. Uh, better than the Clippers, I would say.
1: Yeah, it's not, not going well for them. Again, no. <laughs> which, uh, yeah.
0: Well, I guess relatively speaking, historically, it's actually going pretty well for them. But yes, um, I was going to
1: say, like, you know, it might seem like it's always going bad for them, but it's actually gone pretty well. But then again, it seems like it's gone pretty bad, which is uh, unique for the Clippers.
0: It's an interesting place to be in for sure. So yes, they have joined an illustrious club of teams that have won at least fifty games for five straight seasons, also had an SRS of three or better during that time, but did not make the finals. There are only uh, three other teams that have accomplished that and um, accomplished in quotes, of course and um and even in two of those cases, those two teams did actually make the finals just not in that five year window. so it's uh right. I mean you know I guess in theory the clippers could always you know bring themselves back and could you know or could just make some clever trades or whatever and could maintain some excellence and eventually make a finals, but right now they're they're in this club
1: yeah and it's it's unique with the clippers as well and i i feel like we kind of felt it with these other teams that we're going to talk about a little bit but with the clippers it seems so they're just surrounded by it always seems like failure you know what i mean like where a little bit of these teams it's like oh that's pretty cool what they're getting here like the one team in particular we're going to talk about it 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 was a team that that people regarded as you know always there but oh man they just couldn't do it because of x or they just couldn't do it because of that where as the clippers you know being in this class with these other teams that we'll talk about here in a sec it just always felt like nobody. Nobody really enjoyed the clippers thing everybody always thought it sucked everything always thought it failed like and that's like because it was always like a fun experience and, the, and on paper it was always fun and there would be periods where the clippers were fun but every time come playoffs it was just like oh god here we go here are the clippers doing doing their clippers things or whatever and then they lose and we're going go yeah of course they lost you know so it was always kind of weird to see that where they were in this and and that you know I don't know if you or I or, or, or many people would assume that they would be on this list or that they had, had had such success for so many years and been this elite club of a team that that has been very good for so long. And We're going to talk a little bit at the end of the show about teams as well that have had really historically great runs, and and, and, and they're right there with those teams. So uh, it's just interesting because the optics don't feel like that. It always feel, felt like the Clippers were just like a failure, when in actuality, they were a very good team for a lot of years. It just couldn't get over the hump uh, one way or another, and it probably is because of some of the reasons of – of how they lost and how and, and the circumstances of uh, their losses probably did a little bit more than it did for a few of these other teams uh, that we'll talk about.
0: Yeah, and personalities are a big part of it um, as well. Like Chris Paul is not liked by a lot of people for how he uh, reacts to things on the court and how he's always uh, seems like he's always being mean or berating somebody or doing things like that. And, and um, I, I feel like they have. Uh, quite a few dev, uh, divisive personalities in their team for whatever reason, and just like kind of the way they conduct themselves. And uh, it, 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 there's a lot of interesting things going on. Doc Rivers is another, you know, personality that is divisive, I would say is a, a fair way to put it. So, and, and you were. Getting into this, but um, you know, the, the way the Clippers have lost—they uh, according to ESPN stats and info—they um, have now been eliminated in a series. They once led five straight years in a row, which is,
1: <laughs> yeah, that probably contributes to some of the feel, feeling of failure too. Because it's like you were there all these times, like all these times, just win, like just win the series. Uh, but yeah, it never really, never quite happened for him But yeah, and and it could be disappointment too because on paper they look like a team that should 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 at least contend or at least you know make a conference final or make an. NBA final or whatever, but you know, for one reason or another, it just never quite happened. But yeah, personality plays a huge part in this as well. I think uh, the other teams we're going to talk about all had, I think, more positive personalities than this team, which, which I think the, the historically are going to go down as a team that that most people were going to say, yeah, at the time, not many people liked them really. So,
0: right, yeah, and, and it's it's such it's bad for Clippers fans who have waited for so long for to have a team that was this good to root root on, and you know, said in their history, you know, we've had episodes going back into their history and how and how bad that they, they were and for them to have you know these successful years you know averaging about 55 wins per season a uh, 5.81 srs over the past uh, five seasons which is really good that is teams that, like that often win championships often win finals like, again it's, it's rare that, that a team won't do that in th- this case so um almost anyone would ask for that success, but the way that it has happened, um, has been, like I said, rough on those teams. And it's a combination of things. A lot of it has been injuries. Um, we'll kind of break down a few of those. There was a Donald Sterling situation, which actually like should have made them sympathetic. And I think brought them some sympathy for a while because they were, you know, battling under this, you know, very emotional situation where everyone hated the owner, the players hated the owner and, and and wanted, you even considered not playing a game and protest. And there was all these things going on, but for whatever reason, they, um, didn't really emerge from that that much more sympathetic than um, beforehand. So it, it, it's been bizarre how everything has um, has happened. But we'll, we'll get into a, a little bit of it. Um, what were you gonna say, Rich?
1: Oh, no, that was about it. Of, of just, yeah, it, it, the the optics of, of the Clippers are just always been kind of fascinating too. And yeah, they should have been uh, sympathetic, you, you know, and, and they were, like you said, they absolutely were for a little while after the downstairs thing. And then Chris Paul probably just like threw a temper tantrum at the corner. Everybody's <laughs> like, ah, never I don't like the steamer. Or, or Blake Griffin punched a trainer or something like that. Everyone's right. like, ah, actually, I don't really like these guys. Yeah. So like, we all wanted them to win for like two months. And then we we're like, ah, you know, actually. Because yeah. like, I'll, I'll secretly, I won't lie. Like, you, you kind of had this idea for the show. Um, before the Clippers had been eliminated, and I really was hoping they got eliminated, because it was a really good idea for a show. And I knew at some point they were probably going to get eliminated, but I'm glad that it happened when it did, and, and it happened in such... uh uh Clippers fashion too, because you know they probably should have beat the Jazz. I mean, there was Gordon Hayward was out a bunch of times. Rudy yeah. Gobert barely played, and it's just like they yeah. still couldn't do it. And then right. losing the way they did in that game seven too, was perfect too, because it was just like they never had a chance. No, <laughs> like, and, and they lost Blake Griffin in that series, so they had to disadvantage. Sure, always oh, yeah, yeah. well. that, that but, always happens to them too, which is yeah. always like the the unfortunate thing too is like you just w- wonder at what point w- if they ever just had a season where everybody was healthy. But at the same point, they never. Had, you, you know, sometimes. It Becomes a pattern when Blake Griffin gets hurt every single year. You can't always go, Oh man, Blake's hurt. Oh, what are we gonna do? Like that, it he gets hurt. Like that's just kind of a Blake Griffin thing that happens, right? Lately, last three years, I think he's
0: been hurt all those times. So, yeah, unfortunately for him. And yeah, I think the only beloved player, really universally beloved player there that's been there for most of that run is Jamal Crawford. Everyone loves Jamal Crawford. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you hit
1: Jamal Crawford, you're just a bad person. So, don't listen to the show, turn it off. You, uh, right uh, right now, I mean, schedule us on iTunes, give us a good review, and then turn it off and never listen again. So, your
0: listening privilege has been revoked. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I mean, JJ Reddick's from Duke. You know, I mean, yeah, they just aren't, aren't generally likable personalities. Yeah, I, I, for the most I, I, part. really, yeah.
1: when you go down the list too, like, yeah, they do, they don't really like. Yeah. I feel like there's like two players I like. It's like Jamal Crawford, and then I'm thinking of like the historic, you know, this Clippers teams over the last you, you know four or five years. Yeah, I don't really know that I like. Like, I like Chris Paul, but I, he's kind of a pud. But,
0: I mean, uh, I, I like Chris Paul out as a player, but I get why people don't like him. Yeah, as, and then
1: yeah. they had like Matt Barnes for all those years. Oh and yeah,
0: was, yeah. Uh, I yeah, guess I. But, I Blake's really like, fun to watch. He's really exciting. Yeah, but, yeah, but, just as a but, person. But, yeah. Austin Rivers,
1: right. I mean, nobody likes yeah. Austin Rivers. And I guess I have nothing against Luke Richard and Baba Mute, but. Right. But yeah, that, yeah, it's like eh. four or five guys that I really don't like on that sure, team. So. Sure. Sure. Hey, okay, whatever.
0: So their best chance at a championship, and again, they've never made a conference finals, which is remarkable given, you know, uh, even more remarkable <laughs> yeah, than yeah, the other teams on. all <laughs> like, did. Um, so I, that's kind of hard to say. I, I would say probably their best team was 2014. Um, they lost to the Thunder in the second round who were awesome that year, obviously, uh, uh, peak of Westbrook and Durant powers. Uh, they would have had to battle the Spurs in their last championship season or, you know, um, and then of course the heat, if they'd made the final. So that would have been very difficult. Um, but even getting to the finals would have been hard. Um, and uh, and this was also the year that they dealt with the Don Sterling controversy. So really, they did not necessarily have a great chance. They did blow a 13-point lead with four minutes left in Game 5 in the Thunder series, um, which uh, Chris Paul committed a key. Turnover also blew a big lead in Game 6. So you know, kind of some of the usual Clipper uh, shenanigans. Uh, 2015, they famously had a 3-1 lead over the Rockets before losing that series after the beating the Spurs in a classic first round. But it would have been really hard for them to beat the Warriors, I think, in the— uh, Next round. And in 2016, they looked like briefly they had an opening after the Warriors lost Steph Curry. It looked like he might be out long term. Uh, But then they immediately lost Chris Paul and Blake Griffin to injury in the – in the series against the Blazers and then um, you didn't even win that series so um, yeah so the, I don't think they've really ever had like a, a great chance that like the ultimately blue which is kind of every year something you know um, happened I mean some of those series they should have lost in some of them like um, in fact most of them they probably should have lost um, probably the, the one that they like shouldn't have lost would have been blowing through and lead against the uh, Rockets
1: yeah absolutely it was actually kind of I don't know if you saw the stat earlier but you mentioned that conference finals thing um, someone brought it up that the only there's only like Two franchises that have in the West that have not made a conference final since like the year 2000. Do, did you see that one? I, I did, yes. Yeah, and it was. I was, and then I kind of was going through, and I was like, "Well, what about?" Oh, yeah. They, and then like, it was kind of interesting to go through, and then you don't realize how you know. in a, in we talk about how little parody there is, and da, da da da. But like, that's a lot of parody, and you know, in terms of 16 years, every single team except for you know the the Clippers, just to spoiler, it, it was the Los Angeles Clippers and New Orleans. You know, the Pelicans slash uh, Hornets yeah. were the only two teams that had not made it there. So it was uh, kind of interesting to see that and just realize that, you know, like, yeah, as much as we kind of complain about, you know, we don't, but a lot of you know, the the, the comment is like, oh, there's no parody, there's no parody. Kind of the finals have been very open yeah as far as getting to the nba finals that's a little bit rare but but at least getting there and i always I, I judge if you get to the conference finals i think you've had a damn good season like yes maybe you didn't make it to the nba finals maybe you didn't win an nba championship but the conference that's a big deal i mean you really are head and shoulders above a lot of people or you've had a really good playoff run too which i think we should reward a little bit more than we do because we kind of go title or nothing like yeah. which you know you and i sure. don't we're we're very anti that on the show but i feel like by and large conference finals don't really get the love that they probably should
0: Yeah, I mean that's it's certainly an accomplishment. I mean, what the Clippers honestly have accomplished has has been a good accomplishment. I mean, they've had a really good run for by NBA standards. It's just yeah, the the weirdness and you know maybe just the way the team is made up. Whether it's the personalities, whether it's kind of the on-court fit together. You know, there's uh, sort of been um, the top three are very talented, but it never really like meshed that well. It seems like they've sometimes played better like when Paul was out, Griffin would play better. When Griffin was out, Paul and and DeAndre would play better. It was you know the, the the fit between the three of them, despite obviously great talent and the development of jordan and uh griffin over you know the years ha- has been great but yeah just it seems like it's never quite fit together um we kind of talked about some of the personality stuff and you know the pieces around them the, the i think the most notable failures they've had you know besides that 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 three-one lead to the rockets would be uh gm doc rivers of <laughs> you know, making some some really you know moves that were not great i mean uh uh, you could argue the trade, you know, Eric Bledsoe for, and Karan Butler for J.J. Redick and Jared Dudley. Actually, Redick and Dudley were pretty good fits, but could they gotten more for Bledsoe than they did, who's, you know, obviously Blossom is to a pretty good star in Phoenix. Um, Almost losing DeAndre Jordan to the Mavericks, so they ended up, you know, making that one work. Um, <laughs> Austin, <yeah. laughs> then later trading DeAndre Dudley and giving away a first-round pick and basically a salary debt because they had kind of screwed up where they were salary-wise. Uh, Matt Barnes and Spencer Hawes. Barnes, we obviously made fun of, but he was important to the team for Lance Stevenson. And then then turning around Stevenson and a first-round pick for Jeff Green, who they mean a Yeah, that's probably him. never a good
1: idea. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, anytime you trade for Jeff Green, it's probably a bad idea. So. Yeah.
0: Trading for Austin Rivers, that one's kind of arguable because he's ended up being becoming better, and they didn't really give up much to get him. But obviously, the optics of Doc Rivers training for a son not not that great, and maybe some you know, personality wise thing that maybe not, not helping the locker room chemistry. And then there's always been the jokes about them signing former Celtics or playoff opponents from you know, 2008 to 2011. But you know the guys they've had there: Josh Smith, Glenn Davis, Nate Robinson, Jordan Farmar, Sasha Vucic, Paul Pierce, Danny Granger, Hito Turkoglu, Chuck Hayes, Darren Collison, Stephen Jackson. Me. <laughs> and not not all those guys, you know, necessarily no, some were, were bad. Good, some of them were fine, you know. Um, but it, just that, that mentality of going after those guys and not really, you know, being able to hit on many complimentary players. Uh, especially young guys, has been, you know, I think pretty much their undoing. You look at what, you know, the, how the Thunder developed players during that time, how the Spurs developed players during that time, how the Words developed players during that time, and those teams, the Thunder obviously lost to Ramp, but you know, those other teams have been successful because they've been able to kind of, you know, get guys off the scrap heap or, or draft rookies and, you know, make them into stars. Mm-hmm. So that is the right, the uh, Clippers not been able to do that. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. So. So I think we should move on to the uh the next team on our list.
1: Yeah, so the next team we have is the Dallas Mavericks, the 2001 to 2005 Dallas Mavericks. Uh during this period they went uh at a winning percentage of 68.3% uh with a 5.53 SRS. So a really good team. Uh signature players of course, you know, Dirk Nowitzki at the top, Steve Nash, Michael Finley, Sean Bradley, and quite a few others in there too, but those kind of I would say are the big four. Uh, particularly uh Dirk, Nash and Finley, but um Best chance at a championship. You know, we had talked about with the Clippers and what their best chance were. Uh, the Mavericks, and people kind of forget this too. 2003, they started the season 14 and 0. That was at the time one game short of the NBA record, uh, by the 94 Rockets. Of course, that's been, uh, uh usurped <laughs> quite a bit. Uh, the first, uh, 60 win season in franchise history that year. Uh, Dirk arguably making the leap into superstardom. He was, he was kind of budding here and there and, and really getting there. I think 2003 was the year where everybody kind of said, okay, this guy is a bona fide superstar. This guy is great. Um, and yeah, the, the, the Mavericks, they make it to the Western Conference finals. Uh, they have two seven-game series, so they, it, it's not easy to get there. But they get there, uh, you know, as, as, as much as they can. Uh, and they gave the Spurs all they could handle, uh, but they lost in six games. What was interesting is, is Dirk got knocked out of that series in Game Three, um, so they still kind of went toe-to-toe with the Spurs even without Dirk or whatever. So you have to imagine, and, and, and you know, sort of putting on your, your, your you know, philosophically or whatever, or, you know, kind of pie in the sky. You know, had Dirk not been hurt. It's very plausible they reach reached the NBA Finals in that series. I think they could probably have beat the Spurs there. I don't know. Who knows? We don't know. But hypothetically, they're the very good chance they could have at least, you know, contended more than they did or not lost in six games, maybe make it seven game series or whatever. But then the real issue becomes, OK, then they make it to the NBA Finals. They get out of the West. Could they have beat the Nets then? And I think absolutely they could have beat the Nets that year so it's a little interesting to know that in 2003 there's a chance that you know the Dallas Mavericks are your NBA champions and not the San Antonio Spurs so uh, just interesting how those things can go there you know if Dirk doesn't get hurt um, you know what happens there Uh, as far as this franchise though then the failures kind of came immediately after this following that season uh, the Mavericks they traded uh, for Anton Jameson and Antoine Walker Uh, this helped turn the team into one of the best you know the NBA's best offenses. I mean, they're di- you add those two dudes to a team that was already a very good offense. They were great offense, but their defense struggled quite a lot. Uh, and then you know, under Don Nelson, that became a little bit of a, a laughingstock. Where that 2003, they were pretty decent, pretty decent blend of you know offense and defense. You, you lose you know Ray friends and a few other bigger dudes, and you bring in Anton J- Jameson and Anton Walker. Your defense is going to suffer, and it absolutely did. Uh, and that year, they were knocked out by the Kings in the first round. Uh, then other notable failures, of course, letting uh, Steve Nash leave in free agency. Then you know the 2005. Western Conference semis they lose to Steve Nash and his rising Phoenix Suns and then you know if we extend it a little bit out of that 2005 but look at you know kind of that franchise in general make it to the NBA Finals in 2006 blow a 2-0 lead and a great chance to make it 3-0 too they were they were definitely in control of that game too and and had they made it a 3-0 I mean it it, it seems implausible that they would have lost the series but they blew game three as it was and then Dwayne Wade broke out in a huge way Um, and then of course you lose the NBA Finals that year and then you can extend it even a little bit after that you know the next season they come back and they're great then they lose in the first round of the Golden State Warriors, and then there, there's a lot of issues. Of course, like you're saying, unlike the Clippers, or, or as far as we know for the Clippers right now, uh, the Mavericks were able to turn around and you know win a title in, in 2011. But uh, yeah, that was a bunch of uh, issues they had there. And as far as like, yeah... Um you know different moves they made and stuff. The big thing is is losing Nash and free agency. I think was huge, and also the the trade of Anton Jameson uh, or the trade for Anton Jameson, and Anton Walker, really just kind of changed the whole dynamic of a team that was right there. And you wonder if they had just came back the next year and said, "Okay, we got this team. Let, let's go with it." If they didn't. They kind of toiled around with it and ended up not working. Um, and then real quickly though, teams that kind of got in their way. And, and and you look at you know what they were dealing with in terms of the West. It was it was interesting because the Sacramento Kings always gave them trouble. And it was the Weber, Peja, Vlade, Bibby Kings that always. Gave them trouble, but otherwise, in the West, there wasn't a whole lot of like consistent contenders. Like, they were able to kind of get through the, the Minnesota Timberwolves relatively easy, but the Spurs were kind of always in their way. Uh, later when Nash leaves, the Suns get in their way, and then of course, you get to the NBA Finals, the Miami Heat are in your way. But a lot of times, it was just the Kings or like something weird would get in the way of the Mavericks. But definitely a team that I think optics different than the the Clippers, because I feel like it was a team that was still felt like it was growing, whereas right now we have the Clippers and it feels like that's kind of it. I don't know if there was this this immediate doom for the Mavericks after 2005. Then again, you let Steve Nash go and it looks like, OK, things are kind of unwavering here and they're kind of getting loose. And and Dirk's a choker in the playoffs, quote unquote, you know, doesn't play D. So I guess the optics were a little bit that way. But uh, yeah, that's the uh, the Dallas Mavericks, our uh, second team on our list here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, obviously the Lakers were the tough, you know, the top team you know, during that time. For most of that time that we're talking about with uh, Dallas, they didn't play right, right. in the playoffs, but they were obviously um, on top of their, you know, that, that that Western Conference was really tough. I mean, you know, the Timberwolves, even though Dallas handled them pretty easily, that they were a tough team. The Trailblazers were still kind of at the end mm-hmm. of, um, you know, being a tough team. I mean, really, I, I think 2003 is almost the peak of just all these tough teams in the Western Conference, you know, kind of valley that top 5 and 6 being you know all really awesome teams and and the um you know the spurs kind of emerging from that but it's easy enough to see that you know the mavericks could have done that in you know had they um you know had they not lost dirk in, uh, in in game 3 and yeah i, I mean they probably ended up working out for the better for them, you know, with uh, even though the moves for Jameson and Walker weren't smart and losing Nash, that ended up being able to kind of rebuild the team around Dirk and then having that great success later, the 06 finals, the 2011 championship. So probably, you know, going in that direction ended up ended up being, you know, good for long-term, getting them a championship and they could have won it in a different way maybe, but they definitely could have not. So you always take one, a certain one over an uncertain one. So, uh, but yeah, they, they did sort of, um, You know, they they took a winding path to get there, I guess.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's a little bit longer, but speaking of winding paths.
0: Yes, the uh, Milwaukee Bucks. So between 1981 and 1987, the uh, Bucks uh, averaged a a, a 6.66 winning percentage with a uh, 5.76 SRS. That's actually a better SRS than the Lakers had uh, during that stretch. (laughs) And, and of course, they they won – I guess they they won, what, three championships during that time? Yeah, they won three championships during that time and then went to, you know, a couple other finals. So um, that's a pretty... Uh, to, to, yeah, to, it, it kind of shows you how much tougher the East was during that time than the West. The Lakers generally did not have to go through tough teams, especially um, later on in the 80s. They, they, they dealt with some pretty tough Sonics and Suns teams in the early 80s. But once kind of they merged, you know, 83, 84, th- that competition was not generally mm-hmm. that tough for them. Except for inexplicably the Rockets beating them in 86. Right, yeah, um, right, right. But... Um, meanwhile the uh as we're going to talk about the bucks kept having to go through Celtics and 76ers teams and just you know when were unable to emerge from that um signature players uh they actually had a big trade that kind of split things off and we'll, we'll talk about that the, that in particular but uh Cindy Moncrief was there you know basically the uh, whole time uh, for the early part of the run it was uh it was Marcus Johnson Bob Lanier and uh, junior Bridgman who actually did return briefly in 87 uh later part of the run the key guys were uh, Paul Pressy Terry Cummings and Ricky Pierce and some other guys who were there for most or all of that time. um, Alton Lister, uh, Paul McKeskey, Harvey Catchings, Craig Hodges, and Randy Brewer. Um, probably the best chance at a championship was right, right at the beginning, right at the end. Uh, they lost by one in Game Seven to the Sixers in the uh, second round that year. They won sixty games, and in '87 they, which they were a fifty-win team, but but a tough uh, fifty-win team. They took the Celtics to seven games in a tight second-round series, uh, and then they they would have uh, if they'd won that series, they would have had to battle the Pistons uh, in the uh, conference finals, which was you know uh, probably tossed up at that point. So the, obviously the Pistons were probably a bit of a better team, but um, but they were good. I mean, like I said, they were a, you know, they, they'd high fifties win totals for a lot of that time and were uh, extremely tough.
1: Yeah, and I wonder, uh, I would have loved to seen a matchup between those two, you know, in the, in the primes because, yeah, I think what was always great about Milwaukee is they just had length too. And, like, I do wonder if, you know, their length and athleticism would have matched up pretty well with the Pistons. And maybe they would have been able to easily beat, you know, or not not easily beat, but more easily get past, you know, the Pistons versus, you know, once you, once you slay the beast of the Celtics and the Sixers or whatever, the Pistons might have been a better matchup for them. But unfortunately, you know, they could never slay the beast of, uh, of the Celtics or the Sixers. So, we'll, well, we don't know. So,
0: yeah. And the year they really, I mean, the two years they peaked were probably 80, uh, 81 and, um, and 86. In 86, they just happened to be an awesome team the same year. The Celtics were even, you know, a a better team. They ended up sweeping them in the playoffs. But most years, I mean, they had an 8.69 SRS, that's championship quality level on most seasons. So that was definitely, yeah, the, the timing was bad for them. Um, the uh, most notable changes, uh, September 84, they traded uh, Junior Bridgman, Harvey Catchings, and Marcus Johnson for, to the Clippers for Terry Cummings, Craig Hodges, Ricky Pierce, all the guys, the, uh, the uh, Bucks got back. Were younger. Cummings was an emerging superstar. Marcus Johnson actually was twenty eight and seemed like you know he was he had been a huge star and seemed like he was on track for a Hall of Fame career. And then injuries you know caught up with him. So it ended up being a much worse trade than it looked at the time. But yeah, it was that was certain, a hell of a trade though in terms yeah. of just
1: like here's a bunch of guys that are good and like here's a bunch of guys that are good here. <laughs> like right. that's that's like nobody's really thrown in that trade, which is pretty cool. I mean that every single person there has got you know some benefit or, or some value. So it's always fun to see trades like that. We don't yeah. we don't. Get it does anymore, unfortunately.
0: Absolutely, yeah. And then 86, um, Alton Lister was, uh, along with two draft picks, one of which became Mark Jackson, uh, was traded to the Sonics for a Jack Sickman, a couple second round um, picks. So that that sort of keyed, th- th- that this is a bit outside of our scope, but that keyed the later 80s years, which 87 and 89, they were still, you know, a pretty strong team until Cummings finally was traded to the, um, to the Spurs. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I would say, Really, other than 85, which oddly they were swept by the uh, 76ers despite being the superior regular season team, that was kind of during a time which Barkley was really coming on and they, and they were kind of starting to play at, at a higher level after 84, had been a disappointment. Um, but every other playoff loss which happened to the uh, the Celtics three times and the Sixers three other times is to a better team. So all seven of those years, they either lost to the Celtics or the 76ers, which is, (laughs) it's kind of hard to like, you know, what can you do? I mean, they they were, you know, we could, I I think we, at at some point need to get, we've talked about, I think a few times, but we need to get even more into this team, but that's um, really a remarkable team, you know, with the kind of the style of play that they had, you know, they were coached by Don Nelson. They were, you know, up tempo. They, you know, they had more of a, you know, point forward offense with, uh, you know, Paul Pressey, you know, particular kind of running the offense. It was, you know, m- not traditional with, the, you know, the guards um, doing a lot of the playmaking. I mean, they obviously did some, but it was a different kind of offense, especially for the time. They they were not, you know, they did shoot some outside, not like crazy, like things we get later, but for the time they were, you know, more um, open style. So it, they really did do some influential, interesting things. I, I know, you know, a good surface level amount of them, but there's definitely Reading that I could do to yeah. learn more, you know, in depth about what what they've got going on, but definitely a team uh, worth exploring more
1: absolutely yeah we do we do we definitely just needed to do like a series or just like one big big show about them because I'd, l- I'd love to learn more and dig in a little bit more this was a nice little treat but it only it only fueled the flames for me of like, like yeah. we gotta this team is so cool and you look at that like graph of am just like man the entire 80s they were great and then like even yeah. in the early 90s you forget that like they were still a reputable yeah, they, team okay. for, yeah right yeah, yeah they weren't like they probably were were past their you know window or whatever but still like you're still almost winning 50 games in like 1991 which is crazy because yeah. the team fell on such hard times then in the 90s so so it, 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 it seems so it seems like so long ago too that, like the Bucks were that superpower or whatever. But they were. Yeah. I mean, they were just a superpower. They just couldn't get past, you know, two particular teams and and, and two teams that, that really uh, stood the test of time. So it, it sucks because the, the Bucks have unfortunately been lost a time because of that. And they shouldn't because they're they were they're a remarkable team for a lot of years.
0: Yeah, even in between 80 and 91, they were still above a 600 and, you know, they were above four SRS. So I bet mean, that's still that's a really long stretch, even yeah. like 78, 79. They're a pretty good team there. You know, they were coming on during that time. They had, you know, Marcus Johnson and, and got Sidney Moncrief and, you know, started. That, that's really when that run kind of started. Yeah. So And
1: that's that, that 86 team having like an eight point, whatever, nine SRS. I mean, it's nuts. Like, that's crazy. Like that. Yeah. That's, that should win you yeah. an NBA championship. But yeah, most years it would. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So. All right, uh, and then the last team on our big list here is the San Antonio Spurs, 2008 to 2012, which is kind of interesting. I didn't uh, think of this team, but then looking back, it, it's interesting that uh, they're remarkably ordinary for a team that had seemed so extraordinary for so long, the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, during this period, they had a 68.8 win uh, percentage uh, and a 5.25 SRS. But as far as the playoffs, it, it, it's really weird. Uh, 2008, uh, they make it to the Western Conference Finals. 2009, they lose in the first round. 2010, they make it to the semifinals. 2011, they lose in the first round Yet again, and then 2012, they make it to the Western Conference finals. But uh, those few years squeeze in there, 09, 10, and 11, I kind of forget that like they were just like a team that bowed out. Like they first round exits and then semifinal exits. Uh, squeezed in there, are, of course, Western Conference finals runs, and, and squeezed in there are, are really good, you know, win total seasons. But uh, we do kind of forget that they had a little bit of a rough patch there. Uh, signature players, I mean, obviously, you, you know who these people are Tim Duncan, Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker. Uh, you get Kawhi Leonard a little bit in the back end of this, but for the most part, and, and this is a big reason why there probably wasn't a uh, prolonged success there as the team had gotten old there for a while. It had built around those three uh, for so long, but then the, the role players had been mostly like older guys. Uh, we'll get to them here in a little bit, but uh, definitely probably played a part in that uh, best shot in a championship. Uh, 2012 team. Uh, that year, they had the NBA's top offense. Uh, they seemed poised for finals appearance uh, before the Thunder. Uh, years before anybody thought they were ready to to really compete on that level, upsets them in six games and makes it to the NBA Finals. This, of course, is Harden, is Durant, is Westbrook, way ahead of schedule from when people thought that the Thunder would really get there. Uh, probably, maybe. Two years, I would say, ahead of when most people kind of thought, but a uh, real surprise team—a team that just kind of blew the doors off the Spurs—and it, it went really interesting uh, early as well. Because of course, yeah. the Thunder then face off against the Heat, uh, and had things went a little bit differently, we're looking at the potential of three straight big three Heat versus Spurs finals matchups instead of you know the Thunder uh, squeezing in there uh, in, in that one year. Uh, Notable failures, I'd say, uh, 2010 swept in four games by the Suns in the Western Conference Finals, uh, Western Conference semifinals rather, uh, and this was not the D'Antoni Suns. This was after this This was the Alvin Gentry uh, sons who were really a year away from imploding. Like the next season, I think they would only win forty games or forty-one games or whatever. But uh, in this particular case, they were able to sweep uh, the Spurs, Uh, and then the twenty eleven. Uh, Spurs win 61 games, but then are upset in the first round by the Grizzlies, which was an an amazing series, one of my favorite series of all time. But yeah, this was this year where you know the Spurs seem like they're poised uh, to make a deep run and they get bounced out uh, really quickly. In terms of notable roster changes, uh, there wasn't that much, and that's probably one of the issues. Uh, They acquired Richard Jefferson in 2009, which was nice because they had a little bit of wing uh, presence to them. But otherwise, it was really a parade of veterans for a long amount of time. I mean, you had guys like Theo Ratliff, Michael Finley, Kurt Thomas, Antonio McDyce, Stephen Jackson, Boris Dio, Matt Bonner. You had a lot of just guys that would come in sort of, you know, fill in a gap for a year and then they were out. And fill in a gap for a year and they were out. And it, it didn't have the prolonged sustained success that that really the Spurs were known for. Of course, one of the biggest roster moves that that helped them now the, the next few years get sustained success and, and win a championship, of course. Uh, trading George Hill for Kawhi Leonard at the time you, you know, a move that a lot of people looked at with with a curious eye because George Hill had been a great player and Greg Popovich mentioned that he was one of his favorite players on the team, but they went with a project here in Kawhi Leonard and that obviously worked out quite well for them uh, as far as great teams in their way I think a lot of it was it's just the budding super teams that that had kind of come up in um At this time, you have the Lakers. Uh, Of course, in the early part of this, the Kobe, Paul Gasol, Ron Artest, Andrew Bynum, uh, Lamar Odom, Lakers. Uh, You have the Mavericks, sort of emerging. The Dirk, uh, Jason Terry, Jason Kidd ones that would eventually win the championship. Uh, The Suns, the latter parts of the Suns' kind of dynasty with with Steve Nash at at his powers and Amari Stoudemire before he left. Uh, And then, of course, the Thunder, who kind of came as a surprise in the the later half of this. uh, The Harden, Westbrook, Durant team coming a little bit, and then uh, of course you have the Miami Heat in in, in the East. But uh, the West very competitive in this. Period and and the Spurs just probably didn't the, the the roster build was probably not the best for this team. They they had kind of relied on Duncan being what he was and and Parker being what he was and Ginobili being what he was. But as Ginobili lost a step, they were a little slow to replace him. But of course, when you bring in Kawhi Leonard, then Ginobili was able to move to kind of the fourth role in there and then they were able to get a little bit younger in terms of the role players they got guys like a danny green they were able to bring in um and and really stretch the floor a little bit more uh and help you know a petty mills is a guy that i look at too that, that that getting more younger and more athletic in your bench and in your rotation probably helped them uh get to the finals the year after this and then win the nba finals the year after this as well and then you have sustained success for the next few years after this so uh but yeah kind of interesting i i, I never kind of thought of this period of the Spurs, but yeah, they were just kind of there for a lot of it.
0: Yeah, and, and obviously they won championships beforehand, they would win another, you know, make right, so it's sandwiched between, so.
1: like, a tremendous success and, like, I'm saying this is, like, an ordinary run for them but they made two, you know, Western Conference finals, so it's not really, but those, those years, there bouncing out in the first round, it seems kind of unique, it seems like so, because it seems like you're just always the Spurs are just always kind of there, it's like the Western Conference semis, you like, yeah, there's the Spurs, and, you know, we're here again this yeah. year, and there's the Spurs, so, but yeah, just kind of uh, some ordinariness by their standards for, for a few years.
0: Yeah, every year it was kind of like, oh, okay, you know, this is going to be about to be. This is nice for the Spurs, but it's about to be the end. You know, the Doug is going to be too old, and they come back and you know have great seasons and win championships and uh, make finals and, and and all that. Yeah, I, that um, you know, that 2012 year with the Thunder, they had won like 20 straight games between the playoffs and the um, yeah, they were great the end yeah, of the they were. season and. um you know they um, and they beat the Thunder pretty easily in those first two games. You thought, oh, this series is over, and then the Thunder just turned it on and completely obliterated them. And then you know, and obviously, it kind of what happened from there. But yeah, they. Um, I would say the other big move you mentioned, DL, but I think he was really important for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he came along at the end and really was able to. You'd be another kind of big playmaker, and you know, um, you know, competent defender. He obviously, you know. I, made LeBron work at times and things like that. So I mean Matt he, Bonner too,
1: he was a great floor spacer during that time. Too. Yeah, I mean, we don't give yeah. enough credit to Matt Bonner, but you look at his numbers and it's nuts how good that guy was in, in in a Spurs uniform. Just like right. Just in that role would be perfect for that role, absolutely. Yeah. I think he had, I'm looking at you forty <laughs> between two thousand eight and twenty twelve he hit forty one percent of his threes. That's that's gonna work. That's
0: yeah. Man. <laughs> So here's a few honorable mentions. So these teams, they averaged above 600 for five or more seasons, but they did not necessarily finish above that level e- each year. And they uh, also did not make the finals during that period. Um, so teams that never made the finals, the uh, the kings of the early 2000s, of course, with uh, Stojakovic, Chris Webber, Vlade Diva. Doug Christie, uh, the bulls of the early seventies with uh, Chet Walker, Bob Love, Jerry Sloan, uh, Norm Van Leer, um, the sons of the uh, late two thousands, uh, Steve Nash, Amari Stoudemire, Sean Marion, all those teams were above a four, uh, SRS. And, um, then uh, below them, this is in order of SRS, so basically you kind of talking about the order of quality of teams as we're going down. The Hawks of the uh, late 90s – or excuse me, the late 80s, uh, Dominic Wilkins, Doc Rivers, Cliff Livingston, uh, Kevin Willis. Uh, and then assuming they missed the finals, uh, this would be the uh, the Rockets of the last uh, five years uh uh, they are uh, above 612 and a 3.75 SRS. So interesting that they, you, that not a team I would have necessarily thought of no, during that at time, all. but, but James Harden has, you know, been that transformative for them. You know, obviously Patrick Beverly has been around Dwight Howard was there for, you know, a couple of years. Trevor Rees as well, you know, coming along late, uh, but yeah, they, That's really a, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been Harden and, and a supporting cast kind of around him. So um, the mid nineties, Cavs, uh, Mark Price, Brad Doherty, Hot Rod Williams, Tro Brandon. And this was an interesting one. From 96 to 03, the Blazers, um, they were uh 3.56 SRS. And they, you know, they changed around quite a bit, but they did have Rasheed Wallace pretty much that whole time, uh, Sabonis pretty much that whole time, Damon Stoudemire for a lot of that team. So they did have some, you know, obviously um common players, but yeah, they they I would honestly, have thought they were a
1: blip. Yeah, I thought they would have been like 19, you know, 99 to 2002 or whatever in that that'd be. But yeah, 96 stretching it back all The way there is interesting,
0: yeah, absolutely. Uh, the late 90s er, heat, uh, from 06 to 2001, Alonzo uh, Morning, Tim Hardaway, PJ Brown, Dan Marley, uh, the mid 90s Hawks, uh, Mookie Blaylock, Steve Smith, to Kimby Mutembo, Christian Leitner, the uh. 2005 2013 nuggets um of course carmelo for most of that except for the last couple of years but they still kind of kept it going Nene, marcus Camby, chauncey billups for a couple of years but the i think the two best years that they had during that stretch uh included the 09 conference finals um minnesota timberwolves of the early 2000s of course kevin garnett being by far the most important wally zerbiak terrell brandon sam cassell as well the uh, late 2000s jazz darren williams uh, mehmet O'Curr, carlos boozer andre karolinko and then a couple teams that were low in the SRS but high enough in the winning percentage, the Grizzlies. This is 2011 through 2016. If you include the 2017 season, they fall just below 600, but very, very close to that. But any way you put it, it's it's right around there. Of course, Marc Gasol, Mike Conley, Zach Randolph, and Tony Allen, only a 2.15 SRS. And we've talked about it, I think, on the show for some reasons why they might, the SRS may underrate them slightly. And then the Bulls of 2009 through 2015 um, as well, they're buoyed really by a couple of relationships. Really strong seasons when Derek Rose was healthy, uh, Joakim Noah, uh, Luol Deng, and Taj Gibson as well. So those are the, as far as the never made finals teams, those are the ones that kind of stand out
1: absolutely and then uh, made finals just before soon after Uh, a few other teams here the uh, Thunder of course of the late uh, 2000s we're still going on here with a little bit with this mid mid 2000s (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, exactly yeah Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, Serge Ibaka, Stephen Adams of course uh, 640 uh, 649 win percentage of 5.30 SRS the Sonics of the the early 90s rather Uh, Sean Kemp, Gary Payton Michael Cage, Nate McMillan of course uh, the Spurs of the early 90s as well 1990 to 1996 Uh, David Robinson, Sean Elliott, Terry Cummings uh Avery Johnson. Then the Jazz. Uh the or it's kind of a <laughs> a little bit of an interesting one here because you kind of break it down a little bit. You got eighty seven to ninety six, and that was a team that won uh, six thirty five win percentage, uh, and then a four point oh six SRS. That's Carmelo, John Stockton, Mark Eaton, Thurl Bailey, Jeff Hornacek, and then of course you get the peak there, in nineteen ninety two to nineteen ninety six, and that team definitely makes another leap then. They got uh, a six fifty nine win percentage, and then a, a seven point oh five SRS. So that was clearly their, their peak there, but uh, it did go on for quite a few years before that too, which we've talked about on the show too. That that was a team that had uh, success beyond when most people kind of think they did. Uh, the Celtics. Believe it or not, the uh, the late '80s, early '90s Celtics, kind of the dying days, but they were still you know pretty competitive there. Uh, Kevin McHale, Robert Parish, Larry Bird, Reggie Lewis, of course, uh, the sons of the late '70s, early '80s, the Walter Davis, Alvin Adams, uh, Paul Westfall, Dennis Johnson sons. Uh, the Jazz of the late two thousands, kind of the the last bits, the, the last gasp, gasp of uh, Carmelo and John Stockton and Byron Russell. Uh, then you got the Lakers of the late nineties, the Eddie Jones, Shaquille, Neil, Nick Van Exel, Elton Campbell Lakers. Right before uh, Kobe had really ascended a superstar, I and mean, they kind of you know filled the role players around those guys, the, the veteran role players around those guys moved out. You know Eddie Jones and Nick Van Exel, of course. Uh, and then the the late nineties, uh, Sonics, nineteen ninety seven to two thousand one, Gary Payton that De- Gary Payton, Detlef Schrempf, Percy Hawkins. Vin and baker so the post sean kemp sonics who were still a very good team that people kind of forget as as well and were, were, were super competitive even after uh sean kemp departed uh the mid to uh mid 90s uh sons the jason kidd kevin williams charles barkley cliff robinson this team went under a few different transformations during this point of course with charles barkley moving on uh when he did and Jason Kidd kind of taking over the helm for, for quite a few years as well until he would move on as well but yeah the, the, that team and then the um Early 90s Knicks, 1989 to 1993, uh, these Knicks, Patrick Ewing, Charles Oakley, Mark Jackson, and John Stark. So quite a few teams that would either uh, make a final you know, just before this period or soon after. But uh, uh, definitely a great list there uh, of some more teams.
0: Yeah, the uh, ninety four to oh one Suns, I think, were interesting there because yeah, they, they Kevin Johnson was really the only guy who was there basically the whole time. Oh, right, he right. yeah. Talked about Barkley was there early, Kidd was there later, Cliff Robinson was there later. Uh, it was, was kind of hard to find like signature players from that team because they change around so much. But uh, but yeah, I, I forgot how long they lasted as a good team. You know, even after. You know, the 93 finals. Right. So. And, and they've
1: actually, the Suns are a remarkable team. If you go back and look at their history, like they haven't really been bad that many times. Like, until now, a, right. Yeah. yeah. And, and now is like the first time of like really prolonged, you know, of the team being as bad as it is. Because even, even you know, you're talking about 2001 after, you know, Kid moves on and, and they get at Starberry or whatever, it's only a few years later then until Nash comes. And then it's like, oh, okay, cool. Now we're good again. Like, so they've really been able to, to, to be lucky. And even in the, the 70s and 80s, that was a competitive team for, for many, many years. I mean, you have a little period uh, in the late 80s. But but otherwise, they've been a playoff team, you know, more than they haven't. And then, you know, the last, you know, six or seven years has, has not been good. So it's, it's, it's definitely a unique uh, thing going on in Phoenix right now. But, yeah, otherwise, by and large, it's a really successful franchise that maybe people don't talk about nearly enough. I mean, all through the 80s and all through the late 70s as a playoff team. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. You- And that that jazz team, you know, obviously the 87 through 96 stretch and that peak that you mentioned, but also the 99 through 03 team as well that we, you know, that you mentioned, I mean, the fact that they have you know two stretches surrounding that though, that uh, 97, 98 finals appearances, you know, the fact that Malone and Stockton lasted that long. Yeah, Malone got an MVP, I
1: think, in what, 1999 or whatever, which is like the weirdest MVP ever. It's like, really, Carl Malone? MVP in 1999? But yeah, he did. It was a team that that was able to kind of weather the storm a little bit. Yeah. after those years but yeah it's, it's squeezed in between those finals are just really a lot of good seasons too and and we always talk about those early 90s jazz teams just do not get enough credit as well i mean there, there's a very you know real possibility that the jazz make the finals in 1992 and we get you know jordan malone stockton uh, battle battled then but yeah that was a team that was just just loaded and even 1994 i believe uh made it to the conference finals as well
0: yeah, I mean they would have made the they would have made the regular list if it hadn't have just happened to be one year. I think it was ninety three where they happened to be down a little bit in mm-hmm. regular season record where they, they just couldn't quite qualify for you know the Clippers thing. But they they were definitely the closest to that. I mean they, they're yeah, really looking the at this to the now. Box. I mean yeah.
1: yeah they have a, a plus six hundred win percentage in one two three four and then you got 1993. Three, like you mentioned, uh, five, six, seven, eight, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. So yeah, they would add 13 seasons of a, of a plus, you know, 60 win percentage in a row, right. if not for that one little blip, and they were at, you know, 57.3 that year, so.
0: Yeah, exactly. Damn, so, right. <laughs> Damn it,
1: Sloan. Very good, yes. <laughs> get on your guys, let's go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was the problem. He wasn't on them enough. Yeah, I right. know, yeah. Jerry Sloan, uh, always known as the <laughs> the player's coach. softy. yeah, Yeah, absolutely. just couldn't get on these guys at this time, yeah. so. Yes. Come on, Jeff Malone, let's go. Get out there. Yeah, David Bedwana, let's go. Right, exactly.
0: So, uh, anything else uh, before we
1: go, Rich? No, that's, uh, yeah, that's... Clippers. That's, I don't uh I'm my guess is we will not be they will not be adding another year to this list after this year. But we'll we'll see. It'll be interesting to see what this offseason holds for them. But yeah, I think just just give it an idea that that they've been a very good team for a lot of years and even though it, the failure kind of surrounds this tenure of the Clippers, it, it still is remarkable what they were able to do and how consistent they were able to be over these last handful of years. So, just mm-hmm. trying to give some light to that.
0: All right, well thanks everyone for checking us out. You can find us at uh, fansided at stepback at fansided.com and you can also uh, uh, leave us a rating and review if you like what we're doing on uh, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcast, pretty much we were, we we're there you can also follow us on Twitter at Over and, back NBA and also uh, like us on Facebook, we'd greatly appreciate that so thanks for listening and we're back again soon